1: Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Independent TD Michael Fitzmaurice has signalled his intention to start talks about a new political party focused on rural Ireland. But is Ireland ready for this? Help me buy a home? Stay tuned for our expert panel with top advice on how you might get on the property ladder and the struggles facing some people trying to achieve that goal. And later, robust scenes today as Robert Watt faced a grilling from politicians over Dr Tony Houlihan's abandoned secondment. As always, join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag TonightBMTV and have your say in our nightly interactive poll. A reminder first about our nightly live interactive poll which allows you at home to have your say. Tonight we ask, does rural Ireland need its own new political party? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code you currently see on your screen and we'll bring you the poll results a little later in the programme. Well, I'm joined this evening by Deputy Political Editor at Independent.ie, Hugh O'Connell, Fianna Foy, TD, James Lawless... Independent TD, Michael Fitzmaurice, and broadcaster, Claire Ronan. You're all very welcome to the programme. Hugh, what is involved in setting up a political party? It's it's no mean feat, is it?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you hear a lot about political parties being formed, and indeed Michael has spoken about this before, back in 2014, and I'm sure he'll address that, but... Um, political parties and the setting up of political parties is often talked about by politicians, particularly those who've fallen outside of their own political party. And I suppose over the last 10 years, the, the, the two examples that I can think of are Renewa, which was formed by Lucinda Creighton in uh, 2015, uh, you know, packed full of Fine Gael dissidents who were annoyed at the, uh, at Fine Gael over uh, legislating for uh, abortion in very limited circumstances. Uh, and then the Social Democrats, which was made up of uh, independents who were kind of gene pool Labour Party. Uh, Stephen Donnelly, of course, now James Lawless's colleague in Fianna Fáil and, and the health minister, um, which was formed with a sort of view to certainly kind of the almost diametrically opposed to Renewa, who were kind of considered right wing, Social Democrats left wing. Uh, the two political parties have had contrasting fortunes. Renu is is practically gone. They recently changed their name, in fact. They have no electoral representation. They have no state funding. Social Democrats, as we know, have gone from strength to strength. They have six TDs. They just elected a new leader, Holly Kearns, and they're polling in and around 6%, 7%. Um, so they're doing OK. Um, but it's very hard to, to set up a political party. You've got to think about brand structures, constitution, um, money, where you're going to get your money with the very strict donation limits that we have in this, in this country. Um, you know, you have to get elected to get access to state funding. Um, So it's a big challenge. Now, I think what's different about what's being proposed potentially by Michael and others is that these are uh, TDs who already have an established electoral base, they have an established support level, but the difficulty will be uh, coalescing around a set of ideas and and a manifesto potentially if they're going to fight a general election. That's always been the challenge. And indeed, and again, not to keep banging on about Michael, and I'm sure he'll address all this, but Michael was part of the independent alliance uh, and split from the independent alliance Back back in 2016 when they went into government um, Shane Ross and Finney McGrath and John Halligan all became ministers and, and Sean Canney as well and Kevin boxer uh, but Michael wasn't part of that and, and then I, I think kind of drifted away from the independent alliance so uh, it remains to be seen as to, as to what this discussion that has begun now today, uh, where it will go and whether it will really lead to the sort of new political party in, in the mould of, of a kind of a Social Democrats or w- will it go the way of a sort of a, a looser alliance or will it go the way of something like Renewal, which will...
1: Well, thankfully, no we have like, Michael Fitzmorris yeah. here beside <laughs> us to answer all of these questions. What is this, Michael? What stage well, is this political party at?
3: First of all... Um, My comments were that there is a need for a political party in rural Ireland, and the reason I say that is, um, and back the years in Tony Gregory's time, one person had influence in the Dáil. Um, It moved, and Jordan. When I was in talks in 2016, five or six people had the influence. um, Be it if they joined up with the government, we are now gone to 12. And if you look at the, say, the new arithmetic of the new Dáil that will be coming in, there's going to be extra seats, about 10 or 11 one party will never be probably in government again. Two parties, maybe if Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin went together, they may have enough. But if there isn't, there may be a bounce of a ball. And Kira, out there at the moment, um, in the rural areas, we are getting it left, right and centre from... from. The, or being told from the... be it in the agricultural sector, be it um, in businesses, be it in all the different walks of life out there that they feel that they're being left behind, that the Greens are basically... Um, the pup that's torn, the dogs around the room and uh, they feel that if something isn't done um, that rural Ireland especially with some of the sort of some of the legislative stuff that's going to come down the line like the um, say the, the land use uh, policies that's coming in um, like the new uh, say re policies that's coming in that will decimate large parts of the country and okay, and we did ask we, uh, the Green Party to come yeah, in this with, evening and they weren't and, able and to make anything. i Anthony in The Green Party. What I've said today very clearly is the Green Party set out with their agenda. In fairness to them, with 12 people, they have achieved what they're trying to achieve. But what,
1: so, what, what I, stage is your party or your your or idea f- at, or, or, or first, what is this? First
3: of all, what we have, what I have done is I've talked to some politicians. Um, some are in favour of it. More isn't in favour of it. We have talked to
1: and all independent TDs. Independence,
3: is it? yeah. Um, Can
1: you tell us who's with you? Well, I'm not going
3: to go go quoting people's names here on the programme. Second of all, I've talked to farming um, people in the farming circles or well-known people in farming bodies. I've also talked to business people. And there's a feeling that if we could put a policy document together, and Hugh was right, you have Mm -hmm. to agree on policies, you know. You can't just walk into something. But if we don't put 15 to 20 people together, in my opinion... uh, and independent on their and walking around the the, the the corridors of the doll, will won't cut it anymore. That's being quite honest so about it. So how many
1: it. of the independents that you've approached, and I don't think you've approached all of the independents at this no, point, I'm... how many of them have said, yes, count me in if you do this? Two,
3: two, I've talked to three people and two of them already have said, I'll sit down and we'll talk. There's no one I cannot even say, yes, call me in for the simple reason you have to go through your policies, you have to put a document together. So you're not as, quite sure
1: if you'll be part of it at well, this point. Well, I
3: will be part of it, yes. You will be. Um okay. but 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 what I am saying is, as Hugh was rightly pointed out, you have to put policy documents together. You have to get and listen, this isn't about elected representatives either. There are plenty of people out there that are talking about standing up. Uh, for the rural areas and are willing to put their their head above the parapet.
1: And would you be the leader of this party? Is not that what you'd hope so, to be?
3: Absolutely not necessary so. What you do is... you. But would you like to... to be? Not necessary so, no. I, I, I believe you might find a person that's not in politics at all that could be a better leader. There are plenty of people out there in farming organisations. There are plenty of people in business. There are plenty of people in communities that may make better leaders than me or anybody else.
1: Could you be a co-leader with somebody? Would well, you like that know, model? I,
3: listen... We're discussing something that's not there at the moment, so let's, and, and when let's, do you let's think, put it together.
1: I suppose the question is, when do you think it will be there? Because well, we're what, in, 15 in, months out in from the election. Listen,
3: listen, in my opinion at the moment, if there isn't something done um, in the next three to six months in putting structures in place, um, if you look at the extra money that the government has at the moment... And you was more professional in, in talking about this. Yeah. There may be a government that could cut and run, like February or March, or maybe before that. So you may not have so you, the chance.
1: You, you mightn't have an awful lot of Great, time yeah, here, yeah, Michael. Yeah. I mean, you say you're there to, to represent, you know, uh, rural Ireland, right? Yeah. And that maybe you're looking we're looking to undo some of the work of the Greens. But in government, you also have Finnafoil and Finna Gael, yeah. which traditionally were there to represent, yeah, you know, no, rural fearless, farmers.
3: In the rural areas, one time ago, Finafal were always classed as the people that looked after Middle Ireland. Fine Gael probably were sort of for the middle to larger farmers groups one time ago. But people, and I'm talking about people on the ground, what they're telling us, they seem to feel that, you know, this has been abandoned at the moment and they need something to represent them. All right, or if, or have if you... they don't, we won't have the say within in the corridors of power and we will end up... Um, with certain things going through that will decimate our rural areas.
1: Okay, James Lawless, has Fianna Foil abandoned rural Ireland? Well,
4: I am elected by North Kildare, which is large rural hinterland. So I think the answer is no. Um, I think the the proof is in the pudding. I think if we look at the councils, the council elections of the next election has coming up next year. Fianna has councillors in, I think, every electoral award in the country, up and down, urban and rural. I think there was three in 2014 elections that we did out of a couple of hundred different council awards. Um, So we have elected representatives in every corner of the country. Um, but what,
1: James, or sorry, what Michael is saying there is that people on the ground are saying to him, they don't feel that you're representing rural Ireland. Yeah, but should
4: people say all kinds of things you know, to everyone in politics? I think there's probably a little bit of selection bias. First of all, I want to wish Michael well. He's a good representative. I know he's a man of great integrity and, and I wish him on well in this uh, initiative. Um, I do think it's going to be difficult. Um, Michael made the, the joke about the pup and the dog. I'm going to talk about herding cats. Because some of your colleagues, uh, no disrespect, because they're you know equally well intentioned, but there's a different spectrum of opinion across the independents that are there at the moment. I've heard it said that there are two rig groups in the doll. There's the rural independent group, and there's the reasonable independent group. Is what the corollary is. Is there an unreasonable independent group? Where I'm not, not sure in? who was suing which would would is which. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Well, there would not be is reasonable. Michael? Uh, Asher Michael's a uh, reasonable fella, but I, I, in all seriousness, <laughs> there's all sorts of different opinions, and it is difficult to. And I think
1: what But do I you know, accept, what, sorry, James, to cut across you, but do you accept what Michael's saying, that the tail is wagging the dog here, that the no, Green Party. No, not at all. Not have at all. Not a, way too much all. influence no, on Finafine and Finnegan. I, I, I
4: don't think so at all. Um, I think if you were to take maybe a reactionary conservative view and say, well, we need to be climate deniers and we need to turn back the clock and pretend climate change isn't real, etc. I don't think, I know, I don't, in fairness, I don't think Michael's doing that either. But, I mean, there's a, probably a bit of a selection bias here as well. Somebody that goes to a Royal Independent TD and says, God, everything's against us it's probably not the same person that goes to local finnifoil today and says, thanks for all the work you're doing in government. So there's probably the people that tend to talk to us are the people that tend to be maybe leaning towards us in the but, first place. But, there, but the there, money... I'm it my is dimension- also
1: fair to say, isn't it, that there's plenty of people within finnifoil who aren't happy with the green agenda... Either and how that's dominating I, I, um, I haven't,
4: I haven't seen that political decisions ex- in the last. One thing I'd say, Michael mentioned the money, Me uh, we've heard recently about the, the, the money that's going to be available to the next budget. Mm-hmm. There's more money being spent in rural and urban Ireland than ever before. The town and village renewal scheme, the broadband fibre roulette to every corner of the country, Which the greenways, the, green the Atlantic uh, co- coast. The the I mean, Before we even get into the farming nitty gritty, things like the Acre Scheme, 46,000 applicants for the Acre Scheme. you know... The, the all right, rural so you're saying, look, Michael, well, just let you respond cap, to the new that. The scheme first, that's put, put first, in place? First
3: of all, James is just such a law that... In the all rep scheme We had 65,000 farmers. I heard the Greens uh, were up against me today and something. There were 65,000 people in the rep scheme um, on the glass scheme before the acre scheme. And I'm not saying anything against the acre scheme. I, I it's actually, good scheme. I actually yeah. welcomed it. Yeah. But there was 48,000. So let's not be talking about 46,000. I, I suppose what they're saying is, OK, but There lost some schemes matters. but they've replaced yeah, them with But that's 2,000 oh, yeah, less than what we're was 100%. 100% in, the, 100%. 100%. in the glass scheme. But Second of all, Ciara, this isn't, um you know, if money can solve a problem, then sure it's never a problem. But the bottom line on this is, there are certain parts, certain pieces of legislation coming. In. If you talk to the farming community at the moment, they don't know whether they're coming or going. They don't know are they, what they're doing on nitrates. They don't know what they're doing on land use. They don't know what they're doing, um, say, with with this new re-wetting that both Europe and Ireland is doing together. Second of but all, that, second of all, you can't even sow a tree at the moment because you can't get a licence for is that not the difficulty,
1: though, Michael? Look, we're trying to introduce radical change now to deal with climate change. There is going to be uncertainty. Well, That's part of parcel. Well, part of f- slow f- incremental changes aren't cutting it first anymore. First of
3: all, well, the, the first thing is, Kira. I'm a firm believer that a farmer up to 50 acres, if he was asked to plant one acre of trees and keep going up along two acres for 100, they'd do it in the morning. But first of all, you can't plant a tree. And if you knew then for seven years that you had a clear pathway, farmers are reasonable people and let's give them the credit for what they are. But at the moment, it's a sad thing to say, with the kicking they are getting, and with the uncertainty that's out there, that there are farmers out there at the moment nearly ashamed to say what their profession is, even though we produce the best meat, in basically, in Europe.
1: Pauline O'Reilly was on with uh, Pat Kenny today. I think she, have the me, two of yeah. you um, debated together. She said, this is you being populist. Yeah. This is you painting the Greens as a bogey man. This is the same shtick over and over again that they've come to sort of expect from you, Michael.
3: Yeah, well, first of all, um, I don't paint the Greens as anything. Sometimes I actually give them credit. Uh, second of all, um, it's, not Michael it's, it's not Michael Fitzmaurice saying it, it's um, I'm hearing this in the ground day in, day out from in my constituency and indeed right around this country at the moment. Um, people, are, especially in the agricultural mm. sector and business people, are, are saying it in rural Ireland. The Greens... Um, All right. Let me it just is, go. It is Pauline to... O'Reilly is the very person that, in the Galway Outer Bypass, that James would support, I'm sure, and his party, and indeed the Fianna Fáil councillors that he talks about, that uh, was going to the High Court to get an injunction to basically stop something that we need for 30 years. But, but, so, can yeah. okay. I
4: explain the bigger picture here? Because the Green Revolution is actually going to revolutionise rural Ireland. The maritime energy, offshore wind energy. Um, the, the solar revolution, all that is going to create jobs up and coastal communities in the west coast but of Ireland. First thing, okay. The, okay. the, 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 the first thing you
3: need for the solar re- revolution, and I welcome solar panels, a grand. And the being, offshore, it. And I, and I but wait, wait one second, James. We need. We have only one port in Ireland, and it's in the north that can actually handle it. So hold the right. on, hold on, hold on. Second of all, we you have to be able to build a house in your area. Everything is being blocked, objected to now at the moment, and this policy is driving oh. people insane. Okay, in Claire, areas.
1: you're from Sligo. Do you agree with this sentiment that rural? People feel abandoned by the current government. Foyle, Fine Gael and the Greens. I think some people do, yes, and
5: there is a feeling of that, and that the you know the world doesn't stop at the Liffey Valley or the Red Cow Inn or whatever. But I mean, you're talking about solar energy, you're talking about offshore wind farming. Mm. You have 100 acres at the side of a mountain in Leitrim. You don't care less about that. The use of land is changing. And for the farming community at the moment, it's a very uncertain time. Mm. And they need representation. I actually think, Michael, it's a very good idea what you're doing. I think you're going to be a wonderful man if you get it through and fair play to you. But They do need representation. They need to know what's happening. I mean, you talk about the re-wetting. For years they've been draining land and now they have to re-wet it. Everything is changing.
1: You have the IFA, one of the most powerful lobbies Mm, in this country. You also have a huge number of cabinet ministers from Charlie Mm -hmm. McConnell down to Norma Foley Uh, from rural Ireland. they They are represented, you could say.
5: Well, yes, they are, but it's still an uncertain time. I mean, look... One of the joys Isn't it of my...
1: uncertain for a lot of industries at the minute? And not as, as bad sectors? as theirs.
5: I mean, I go out to the marts and do vox pops, for example. Mm. You go out to Leitrim and they're sad. They're like, my great-grandfather, my grandfather lived on the farm. I couldn't keep my children. I had to get a part-time job. Now my children are working full-time. Mm. Kiri, ask the farming supplies company. They're all online now because their business is done after working hours. People are farming, a lot of them, the smaller farmers are doing it nearly yeah, as a hobby yeah. or a part time job. Yeah. And now the farming that they've been doing for generations, the use yeah. of their land is changing. So I think it is a very uncertain time. I think they need to, I know there are representatives, but the more the better.
1: Okay, I just want to go to our poll this evening because we've been asking, I think people at home, um, does rural Ireland need a new political party? I think the result is that three quarters of people say yes, 25% say no. Hugh, do you think the government are concerned about this
2: at all? Um, well, I, I, yes. I, I mean, look, the government are concerned about losing support to whoever, Sinn Féin, Labour, Social Democrats, what, whatever. And I, I think that what that poll potentially speaks to is the appetite within the country for... For change. For change. Yeah. Now... That's a very difficult message for the government to counter because everyone is in favour of change, particularly in circu- Well, not everyone is in favour of change, but in circumstances where there are very real problems facing the country, particularly around housing, which I know we're going to talk about, um, the, the people want a change of direction there, and so they want someone who can represent that and deliver that. Now, Sinn Féin is the, is the main beneficiary of that at the moment, but potentially other parties could benefit. And from, we have from seen that outside well, of um, Ireland, one, maybe we've,
1: we look at the. Uh, um, the Dutch group yeah. representing farmers who've had mm-hmm. real electoral success yeah,
2: over there, who've came, come out of absolutely nothing. Came out of nowhere, uh, won a, a huge number of seats there, there in, in recent elections. Uh, and indeed, I think are, have have you know, some of their people have been in Ireland or have spoken to mm-hmm. Irish audiences and have, have suggested that, um, you know, what Ireland needs is a, is a farmers party or a party that represents rural Ireland. And... Um, That's obviously something that's now. Yeah, I'm
1: just wondering, Michael, because you did talk about this back in 2014. Mm. You said, you know, I have an an article here. I think it was in the Sunday Independent, and you said exactly the same thing that you're talking to people who would have met traveling around different parts of Ireland, Mm. sussing out like-minded people who feel like rural Ireland is abandoned. That was 2014. Mm. Is there a danger here because nothing? There's nothing solid. There's nothing concrete here. That if you uh, do this again in 2023, it it doesn't form. Well,
3: first of all, something that people aren't going to believe what you're saying. First of all, something did come out of that. Uh, at the time, the Independent Alliance was put together and uh, I was involved with the Independent Alliance. Um, the only reason I didn't go into government was very clearly that the, the programme for government... And okay. you can talk about farm organisations. farm organisations do their job and they lobby as hard as they can. Um, but at the end of the day... You, you didn't go into government, no, but, remember, but, 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 because you weren't wait, wait willing wait to a compromise on what's,
1: the turf, and that's part of no, it. No, no, no,
3: there was more than that. There was an awful lot more stuff. If you ever want to see the documents, I have the whole history of it. But um, I, what has happened is that if you, whatever goes into the programme for government, and in fairness to the Greens, as much as I don't admire what they do, they are getting that across the line. And at the end of the day, we have to decide, do we want... And, and it is exactly right in what was said. There's farmers... Like you talk about the climate, and I'm not against climate. But the, the one thing you have you're to a, remember...
1: But you're against a lot of the no, measures. But hold on.
3: One thing, they- one thing. If if somebody owns a farm that they drained years ago, that they have sheep or cattle on, and that 100% of that farm, now because of the nature restoration law, is, is they're telling them that you have to re-wet it. How is that fair is for it- somebody? And are they happy to hear that? No, they're okay. not. Is there going to a, a difficulty
1: here, though, Michael? or Because we've seen time and time again, rural independents kind of happy enough to sit on the sidelines and not hmm. go into government because when you go into government it's a whole different... Well, didn't, different didn't many TDs... That and, and, and you are one of those people got the opportunity well, to go into government and f- didn't.
3: First of all, I believe in either you have it in the programme for government written into it or you haven't. It. It's, it's, either, it's either or either. It's, it's not a sort of a middle ground and a wink and a nod with me to be quite frank about it. Uh, second of all, it's not many TDs that will turn around very clearly and say if I don't see this happening in the next few months or in the next three, four or five months... Um, I won't be standing on my own as an independent again. Well, but be There okay. isn't many I'll TDs like that Returns will say that.
4: They go every which way. Even on the eviction ban, half of them went yes, half of them went no. So there's no cohesion there within the role of independence at the moment. I don't it's because know as much as I'm independent on But that's the point. But, you know, good luck. Best luck to Michael. a gentleman. I'll put it All this
3: right. way, here to you as well. And I think that this needs okay. to be noted. The last time in 2020, when the government was being formed, three of us were brought in in front of Simon Covenant. Uh, were invited in but we're told very clearly because there was 12 in a group that that's what was going into government that okay. thanked us for coming in everything sound but it just shows that you need the numbers to be in there playing the piano. Claire you think this could do well?
5: I think it could yeah I think it could I think there's huge challenges who wants to go into politics now? Great. I know in my region I know <laughs> that three could be the biggest difficulty looking for
1: candidates Across the board. Yeah.
5: and that's the problem would you do it?
1: I think we'll just end the map Let's not get into my politics Non-denial. this evening. <laughs> uh, my thanks to Michael Fitzmaurice and to Claire Ronan. Uh, after the break, comedian Michael Fry joins me to discuss his new Virgin Media show, Help Me Buy a Home.
3: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it
1: You're very welcome back. Well, getting a foot on the property ladder is one of the most challenging aspects of life in Ireland currently. But a new show, Help Me Buy a Home, which starts at 8pm this Sunday on Virgin Media 1, takes a look at some of the hurdles that people are facing. Well, Joining me now for more is Deputy Political Editor of Independent.ie, Hugh O'Connell, Fianna TD, James Lawless, a first-time buyer who features in the programme, Emma Maguire comedian and presenter with the program Michael Fry and buyer's agent Liz O'Kane you're all very welcome to the program so Michael this is uh, I suppose a new program starting here on Virgin on Sunday exploring the property markets and just what it's like to get out there and try and buy a home what did you learn?
7: That it's really hard, you know? Uh, That it is, it's possible for certain kinds of people, which is what Liz is able to do and help them through the process and how difficult that is. But I kind of explore the issues about it and it's kind of that thing of like, you know, as as a young person being told constantly that things are going to be fixed and, you know, it's been an issue my whole adult life. Uh, What we're kind of, I I thought there was nothing being done, but there's something being done, Mm -hmm. but is it enough? So it's kind of, it's exploring that, but also like ways alternative ways of living as well so if you can't buy a home and renting is too expensive what else can you do what are other solutions are out there what aren't we doing what are we doing well all that kind of stuff what we could,
1: what could we do more of yes as part of the program you actually spent a day with the housing minister with Dar O'Brien you yeah. trailed him from morning to evening what was your impression
7: uh, That he's very good at answering questions so um, I'm sure he's directly. Been, Yes, yeah, actually, to be fair to him, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did seem to take my concerns on board or whatever. So, But, I mean, again, I'm talking to a politician who is a professional question-answerer. Uh, I'm sure if I was taken around by the previous uh, ministers for housing, it would have been the same thing. Here's this development we've done, and it's, it's really impressive to see a 1,000 houses being built, but when you realise the scale of the problem, it's kind of like, oh, is this enough? And is it for me to say it's enough? You know, that kind of thing.
1: And what is your yeah. own position?
7: Yeah, I I'm, I'm just not sure. It's kind of again you're like,
1: renting, I should yeah, say. Yeah,
7: I'm sorry. Yes, I'm renting at the moment. I'm in a house share. Uh I'm nearly 30. I didn't think I'd be still renting with four other people nearly 30 and I'm quite far out and I've had to go back home quite regularly, you know, depending on where I was working or if I could afford to live in Dublin and all that kind of stuff. But I've also a lot of friends who are nurses and teachers and things like that who have had to move home. Who have spent months and months looking for somewhere to live, and are doing outrageous commutes. My housemate has just found somewhere else to live now, and she was doing ninety-minute commutes to the hospital. And you know that's not ideal. First thing in the morning, and three hours it, yeah. of commuting a day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So.
1: And is your situation now secure, or have had have you had to move frequently? Um, oh, I've I
7: probably moved. Uh, nine times the last ten years or so, just with different student houses and student lets. And then once I got into Dublin, it was really hard to stay there because of insecure rental, you know, sublets, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm secure enough now. I've been in the same place for the last two years. But there is that constant threat of being like, oh, will I get evicted at some point, you know? So, yeah. Yeah.
1: You uh, are one of the people who took part in the programme, Emma. So you're one of the good news stories because you did secure somewhere to live in the end. You secured your own first home. But tell me about the process to get to that point.
6: So for me, it was a very long process. So it probably took a full year for me to get my home because I originally was sale grade on a different apartment, but then that fell through. And then... The apartment I live in now, I actually put a bid on it last August and they told me that um, an investor had bought it and that would close in four weeks, so I thought the sale was gone. And then when I was filming the show, like, so I'd applied for the show, I was on, Liz had found places for me. um, They rang me and they said that, oh, the sale's fallen true. Are you still interested? So then it kind of moved quickly then because they needed to sell it. But all in all, it took me, like, a year, over a year to from when I first started looking to moving into my apartment now.
1: Okay, so that took a year, and I'd say that's probably pretty good, actually, because I know a lot of people who probably had to look a lot longer. But the process before that, you know, to get into the point where you had a deposit saved, where you had mortgage approval, what did you have to do to get to that point?
6: So, first of all, I had to move home, back to my parents' house. So a year before I even... Considered applying for a mortgage. Like I'd been saving anyway, um, but then during the pandemic, I just decided it'd be easier to just move home and save to buy my own place. So I did that. So I was saving. So you were before.
1: rent renting before. So I was that.
6: renting before that. Yeah. Are and were you able to
1: save at the same time?
6: Yeah, but I was able to save more. Like when I moved home, and I suppose because of the pandemic, probably one of the only good things was there was a chance to save money because nobody was going anywhere. So I was able to build up a bit of a deposit that way, and then. I was like, oh, well, I'm not gonna go into another lease for another year if I want to buy somewhere. So I just moved home for what I thought was a year to save. And then when I had enough saved, like I went and I got, um, I went to a broker and he was really good and he took me through like what would suit me. And I had to do all the paperwork for that. Then I was able to go and look for somewhere once I had got the approved in principle. And then I started the whole journey of looking at places. And then I went sailor grade pretty quick on the first place. But it just, in the end, we just weren't able to close it. So I had to let it go. But I'd been sailor grade for like, I think nearly eight months, maybe more. So then I had to start again after waiting all that. And then I had to apply for the mortgage again because you only have it for six months. So it was a whole, mm,
1: mm, it's not very drawn out process. Straightforward. So the plan of being at home with mum and dad for a year... Wasn't a year? No, it turned into two years. And you're 35 years yeah. of age. So um, how did you feel about moving back into the home? Like, Well,
6: like nobody really expects, like, you know, when you hear, like, particularly for people my age, like when you think about your parents, like they'll tell you, oh, I bought a house when I was 25. You don't think like when you're in your 30s, oh, you're going to have to come home and like that's OK and everybody does it. Like it shouldn't really be like that's acceptable as the norm that you're like, oh, we'll all just move home. Like, not everybody is fortunate enough either. And then if you can't move home, what do you do? Like, what are you supposed to do?
1: What, what would you have done if you hadn't had the option to go back, live in the family home, not pay rent? I what would have you've just done? had
6: to stay and pay rent and save for longer. Like, like what does anybody do? Yeah. Uh, what did you, do you mind me asking, eventually
1: have to pay for your apartment? And so what did I you get?
6: paid um, 230000 for my apartment which is, like, in Dublin, in the area, like, it's fine. Like, it's, like, probably good value. Um, for a one-bedroom For a one-bedroom apartment. And you're able to manage the mortgage now, yeah. OK? Mm-hmm. yeah. And is it better than the rent you would have been paying? Yeah, it's, like, half the rent I'd be paying. Like, that's in, like, when you say it out loud, like, you can buy your own place, but you're, the rent you'd pay would be double your mortgage. Like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't compute in your mind, does it? Like, how can you own something, but it's cheaper or it's more expensive to rent?
1: How do you feel now? You're in the door, you're secure, you have somewhere to live, you've got your first place, you're 35 years of age, took a little bit longer than you expected, but you're where so many other people are just dying to
6: be. Yeah, like, I'm delighted. Like, I'm very fortunate, like, that the opportunities that I had, that, like, I was able to move home, Mm -hmm. that, like, people supported me, like, that I was able to be on the show, that I was able to learn from Liz, that, like, I had good solicitor, good broker, like... I mean, I had good people around, so I feel very fortunate. But I know not everybody else is as fortunate. And it's kind of, you go to the viewings and you see all the same people. And then it's like, how can, like, who's buying these places if all the same people are at the same viewings? Uh,
1: Liz, mm. it is really difficult for people out there. We talk about it on the programme on a regular uh, occasion. For you now, as somebody who's out there helping people, trying to buy a home, what's the number one obstacle at this point? Lack of, stock, lack of stock. Lack of stock. And, avail- and affordability. There's, there's no stock. There's, there's no, no stock. stock. So it's so still that, despite what we hear, the good stories like Emma's are still very d- little. D-
0: despite all of that. I mean, like, we're hugely cognitive when we made this programme that not everybody is going to be able to achieve to buy a home quickly and efficiently. So, but this, this is really... Uh, it, the programme was made to give people a toolkit to get out there mm-hmm. and to know what to ask how to prepare, how to be more assured about the process. But unfortunately, the sales process in Ireland, it's tricky, it's long. It's about solicitors working together to try
1: and get title deeds and boundaries and all their queries over the line swiftly. And there's not a huge amount of transparency, is there, either when you're dealing with an estate agent, I have to say. Well, no, I'm sorry, I have to... uh, I know you're going to disagree with Uh, me on that, but I would disagree with you, I'm afraid.
0: Have you experience? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. well, I'd be be really interested in hearing that experience. But what I would like to say is, I would say that in every industry, you're going to come across a shark regardless
1: of whether it's the estate industry, the financial industry, political, politics or legal, right? Yeah, in fairness, I I, I wasn't for a moment suggesting that there are sharks out there. I just think the process itself is not very transparent. But
0: but that's what everybody thinks. Everybody assumes that it is non-transparent and that there is, you know, covert bids going on under the table, etc., etc. The property industry, in its defence, and I am not in sales, I purchase Only, I do not put for sale signs into people's front gardens. That's not what I do. I act exclusively for the purchaser. The property industry is highly regulated since 2012. And every single bid must be registered. And as a bidder, anybody out there in the market has the right to say to the estate agent, may I see when the last bid was registered, please? What day? What time? Now, you don't see the name of the person or you don't see their proof of funds. But it's all... It's it's pretty regulated. Now, I'm sorry you've had that experience... But, you know it has come a long way since the last crash but well, back back to your question well, back, to, the first back of the to your question to people the who question are is able to actually buy a house stock
1: when you say there's there's uh, I and mean, we know there's you know housing <clears throat> stock major major shortages is it across the board i mean it was are there more one bedroom apartments for people like emma than three bedroom family homes um, down the country or or you know who is most likely to be able to buy the, at this point? The, the interesting thing about all of this is, right, is that despite
0: the lack of stock, there are thousands of young people out there who are approved in principle, who all have mortgage approval in principle for either six months or 12 months, dependent on their financial lenders, right? And at the end of six months, if they can't find a property, they have to go back to their financial lender and go through their due diligence all over again to be reapproved, right? They can't find property because number one, there isn't enough new housing stock to purchase at a reasonable price. And number two, uh secondhand stock is also very low, although I am hearing that you know agents are out there and they are valuing um significantly more stock in the second quarter of this year. Um, but then you're then you're into a scenario where pretty much those first-time buyers, they can all get those same levels of money. If, you're in, if you've are if you got a couple or, like Emma, a single person, you know, there's a certain amount of money that, you, that you, you, you kind of know what people are earning, therefore you know what they can possibly draw down, right? And if they're all out in the marketplace trying to buy the same properties at the same prices, as Emma rightly said, you go to the viewings and the same people are there, they're outbidding each other along the way.
1: So is there anything that you can do as a potential bidder or somebody who wants to buy a house to sort of make yourself stand out from, from the crowd? To improve your chances of being able to buy a house? Well, I mean,
0: to improve your... T- well, first of all, be, be very, very prepared. Have your approval and principle ready. You can't go shopping for handbags with no money. It's as simple as that. You can't go shopping for a house with no money. So you have your approval and principle. Be prepared to show your proof of funds. Have all of that lined up. I have to say, if you do engage with a buyer's agent... and and I am talking now about my own profession and there ain't too many of me out there, it does assist you because I will speak to a sales agent. We're speaking together. We're trying to do a deal. It doesn't mean that I win every day of the week. But for a sales agent, they will know that if I have a client, that client can perform and proceed because they've already retained me to source and negotiate property for them. Um, Hugh... It is an advantage. The Housing
1: Minister you know, when he's on here, he's always trying to sell this really positive message. Um, He's always trying to talk about people like It's like like Michael says, he's very good
2: at answering questions.
1: He is. He seems to have huge confidence in his... Abilities. Abilities and and this this strategy. Are you surprised he took... Part in a program like this, not given at all. all the criticism, absolutely
2: not. No, he's he's sort of impervious to criticism, um, and I think he's he, he would absolutely relish the opportunity to take part in a program like this because he he thinks he's selling a good news story, and he and thinks the
1: public buying it.
2: Well, no, I mean that's self evident, right? I mean because there are so many uh, horrific stories about uh, the the market as it is and the rental market in particular. You know, the queues at the door to try and rent, you know, one-bedroom homes or whatever, uh, for exorbitant rents, and this is the big problem I think for buyers at the moment is that um, saving for a deposit is enormously difficult because you're paying huge exorbitant rents. Mm-hmm. Um, so a unless lot you of... have
1: the Emma option, which is to move back in, well, with exactly, the yeah, or if you have parents. a situation
2: where your family can give you a bit of money to, to towards your that's deposit. True. I mean, that that's a, the, the Bank of Mum and Dad, as it's called. I think that's a huge. Uh, thing for a lot of uh, couples or a lot of people trying to buy buy a house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, but politically, trying to relax. yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so the mum and dad are either having to hand over thousands of euros to their kids, or their kids are moving back home. Uh, and I don't think that's a prospect that their parents necessarily mm-hmm. relish. Um, so politically, I think, um, look, this is going to be the, the, one of the defining issues of the next general election. Um, if not the, if not issue, the defining issue, people. and it is going to be the you know the government is going to have to be able to sell a story that is believable for the vast majority of the public that we you know the, that the corner has been turned, and you know the, we are now on a better trajectory in terms yeah. of housing delivery. Now they seem to be arguing in recent months that the, uh, the corner has been turned, but I don't see the public convinced of that. I don't Can see you the, public, the
1: public James? Uh, just yeah.
2: Briefly, I don't see the public convinced either by by the Sinn Féin alternative, and, and polling shows that that the public don't necessarily believe the government can fix the housing crisis, but they don't necessarily think Sinn Féin mm-hmm. can do it either. Mm-hmm. And that, I, that, that sort of speaks, I suppose, to the, to the public's general uh, mood about this, which is pretty, pretty uh, negative. Well, yeah, just,
1: OK, so, just just so, so so sell it to me here, James. We yeah. yeah. have a so just, positive story here. Yeah. Emma did find somewhere to live. How, Absolutely. Tell me, I, I just, we've turned I could, the corner.
4: Before we get into the politics of it, just I'm really looking forward to seeing the programme. And, and the guys, I think, are, are, are younger than me, uh, certainly about 10 years younger, but... Um, the, well, I'm 10 years old and you, Emma, so uh, I <laughs> made it to today. But I actually remember going through, no, not same. I remember I, I rented for years in Dublin, you know, in college, then my first jobs. Uh, actually, I was evicted and, and really a very young child at the time um, because the house wow. was being sold from under us. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens, uh, unfortunately. And then moved down the country to Exford, commuted to Dublin from Exford for about two years while we were saving. And then we bought our first house after that. So, you know, I, I'm not saying it's the same, but I, you know, I have yeah. some experience in life experience, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and it's hard, it's really hard. Uh, and it's harder now than it was then. Uh, I say you guys are younger than me, so. Um, but in terms of uh, the other, what I think it's really interesting, what, what Michael said, and I think today are finding funny. This is where you said that you thought nothing was happening, and then you found out something was happening, and then you wonder is enough happening, right? That's a really yeah. good summary. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much happening, and we even as representatives, sometimes we get you know, smoozed with there's so much information. There's the first home scheme, there's the first equity scheme, there's the shared equity scheme, there's a help to buy scheme, there's a Queen of scheme. And this, and all that okay, but there's no
1: public perception that we've no, but, turned but, a corner. But actually, yeah. it feels like but this but there actually, there's not, but are schemes out it.
4: there, and, and sometimes I think it's our job to try and actually help. And, and like Liz here is doing, you know, and actually say, well, here's all the different schemes. Here's what applies to your situation. You know, here's how you can avail of them. Some of the schemes can be combined together. And I suppose, and, and but really, because so there's a lot of help coming out there. And um, but really, comes down to as Liz is it, stock and supply, mm. and that's building. An absolute pile of houses every single year. I'm picking up, back, going back to talking about Hugh's point. What's interesting, the Sinn Féin plan, I've often debated with owner Brendan on various programs, including this one. There's actually very little difference between Housing for All, which is Darrell Bryan's plan. The alternative plan. Okay. There's a couple uh, of tweaks around the numbers. They but would say I, otherwise. I, I, think around the, I think nobody can disagree. We just need to build an absolute pile of houses okay. every okay. single Just very briefly what to, what, to, to
1: what uh, Emma said and to what Michael said there. Michael mm. is, I know, deeply concerned about the possibility of being able to buy a house in the future. Yeah. And Emma's saying what people have to do now, and it's almost been normalised, move back in with mum and dad and hmm. rely on mum and dad.
7: Oh, I do the same, yeah, a lot of us did over yeah. the years. So that, That's the assumption that you have a good relationship yeah. with your parents or but you have parents point. or you have parents who have room for you, you know?
1: Yeah. And what are you saying, James? People have always done this?
7: Well, I'm saying like, I did it. I don't know if everyone's has done it, but I'm saying it mm.
4: look, it was never easy to buy a house, but I, I get that it's a lot harder. But it was a lot easier. It was definitely easier People
0: were doing it younger okay. as well. I mean Mike we have, have a whole a really interesting yeah. chat yeah. with the housing minister in Finland.
7: Yeah, what yeah, is their yeah, yeah. stat in so Finland they, they, for homelessness? Yeah, so they, okay. they count their homelessness differently. So it's people who, say, are living at home with their parents mm. are also counted as homeless. homeless. If we did that here, the homeless rate would be like... Well, well like I what I'm talking you know, about. So.
4: I call that hidden homelessness. And I and yeah. like a okay, yeah. I see that all the time. Mm. Mm. People I, I have on couches, staying in spare rooms. You know, yeah. but, but I
2: think what, what this shows is that, there's a, your, your case in particular shows, is that there's a whole generation of people who are not buying houses in their 20s now. They're doing mm. it in their 30s, their late 30s. And that's... The market's fundamentally changed, I think, as a result of that.
1: And people missing life goals... Correct, you know. absolutely, and, and cars delaying cars having kids, yeah. getting married, there, there all of these All these right, so. Lucas, there, sorry because, to put it across We're just going to have very little time for part three, so we're going to have to leave it there. But the programme Help Me Buy a Home uh, is airing on Sunday at 8pm on Virgin Media 1. We'll leave it there. Lots more after the break, including why Robert Watt clashed with TDs over Tony Holohan. You're very welcome back. Robert Watt, the Secretary-General of the Department of Health, has rejected most of the findings in the report and the botched secondment of Dr Tony Houlihan. Appearing at the Oireachtas Finance Committee this afternoon, Mr Watt told TDs that he rejected most of the findings of the report and that it was mainly an issue of communications that the secondment fell through. Well, Hugh O'Connell and James Lawless have stayed with me. Uh, Hugh, you sat through all yeah. two hours and a bit of this committee hearing, uh, which was very good of you. But it was possibly a bit more interesting than some of the other committee hearings because it was volatile time as well. It was pretty robust. I
7: mean,
2: this isn't the first time Robert Watt has appeared before an Iraq's committee and adopted a pretty robust and, and what some might describe as an aggressive approach towards the line of questioning, which is equally aggressive towards him, I must say. Um... But he he mounted a robust defence of his actions. I mean, his, his central contention, obviously, was that he didn't accept any, really, of the findings of, of the Maura Quinn report, this independent external review commissioned by Health Minister Stephen Donnelly into the... Uh, botched comment of uh, uh, Tony Holland to Trinity College Dublin.
1: And just remind people very briefly what those findings were.
2: So the findings were effectively that um, the uh, process as it was uh, didn't bypass all protocols and procedures that that, uh, that should have been followed as far as she was concerned. Now there's an issue as to what protocols and procedures exactly were, uh, which was Robert Watts' uh, argument against the report, and that effectively Tony Holland was kind of centrally involved and should, in uh, negotiating, discussing this role, discussing funding for this role, and that he shouldn't have been. Um, so, th- these are findings which have f- proved uh, hugely controversial. Uh, Tony Holland I understand, has, has um, objected to some of the findings of, of the report. Robert Watt, as we heard today, has objected to, to all of them. Um, but the report stands, Maura Quinn wasn't there to defend herself or, or her, her work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, the report has also exposed this kind of sharp dispute uh, between Robert Watt and Martin Fraser, the former Secretary-General of the Department of the Taoiseach, uh, and Deirdre Galan, who's the uh, Chief of Staff to Micheál Martin, uh, the Tónister, who was then the Taoiseach, um, over whether or not Fraser and Galan knew about uh, the details of this comment, what's contention was that they did. and there- uh, They rejected that they did, but Galan in particular was quite strident in saying that... Uh, what was completely wrong to, to suggest that she was aware of this.
1: And, and Robert Watt did say he accepted her. He, 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 did, he did, yeah. He
2: seems to have kind of accepted that and is prepared to move on from that. But certainly, it, 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 you know, it, it wasn't a good look from from his perspective. And uh,
1: what also seemed to get under his skin today was a criticism. And it came from across the board. It came from mm. Mark Oshari, it came mm. from John McGuinness, it came mm. from Pierce Sturdy mm-hmm. that he initially refused to come before this committee.
2: Yes, yeah, so he, he was asked to appear. Uh, Robert Watt isn't necessarily accountable to the Finance Committee because he's the Secretary general of the Department of Health, but he was asked to appear. He initially indicated he wouldn't. The committee saw powers of compelability. They got powers of compelability, And then he volunteered. And then he volunteered to come in and he came in. So he rejected this assertion that he was refusing to come in, but certainly there seems to be a bit of ambiguity about that. And he clashed quite, quite uh, intensely with uh, John McGuinness towards the end of the hearing today. Uh McGuinness said he was arrogantly dismissive. Uh, Watt uh, question whether McGuinness was being impartial as chair when, when he was levelling such criticism at him. So it was all fairly tense. I don't think this is the end of this. I think this committee, and particularly John McGuinness, is going to want to look at this uh, again.
1: Uh, James Lawless, do you accept the findings of this report in their entirety?
4: Well, look, I have to be honest, I'm not across the details of this one. I'm not on the committee, and I wasn't uh, in that committee today. I was in a different committee. Um... I find it quite extraordinary. It's not the first time that Mr Watt has uh, got himself into hot water and had a combative uh, encounter with the various Committees. I chair a different committee, I chair the Justice Committee. We're there to serve the <laughs> public. Ultimately, we have a degree of independence and it's our job to put the hard questions to civil servants. Mm. And uh, I think Frank, it's a bit of a cheek to refuse to come into the committee until he was compelled to do so. Um, I believe he didn't make an opening statement, which would be normal. He didn't make a closing statement. He, he pretty much packed his bags and ran out of the room as soon as it was over. Um, there has to be accountability. People have to come in. People that make senior, you know, see, see in senior positions... Well, I mean, in, that in fairness, decisions. there was
2: accountability. Yeah, he was there, was he was, he was there He turned up. He answered
4: the questions. He spared us and, an opening statement. Yeah, look, relatively, <laughs> at the end... Um, I also struggle with it and I say I'm not across the detail of it, but from what I've read, um, he he denies the report but accepts the bona fides of everybody in it. I don't know how he squared that circle.
1: Well, that was going to be my question because you have a government who's accepting this report in its entirety and you have the person at the centre of this, one of the highest civil servants, Mm. saying, I disagree with most of it. So where does it go from here? Do they... Agree to
0: disagree? Well, if he's
2: a good, if he's, as suppose, if he's a good civil servant, he'll do what the government tells him to do. But I mean, it, it's not going to look particularly well for him. But he hasn't done that in the past. I mean, this is not the first route that this um,
4: Mandarin from Hong has been in. Um, he mm-hmm. seems to make a habit of it. I don't think it's going to end well. I
2: don't think it's right. going to be the last round
1: either. Okay, look, we've to leave it there. But my thanks uh, to all of my guests. But from the late team here, good night. Do take care.